hit the bar downtown. Boys, welcome Chase back. Episode 70 of the Review Podcast. We're here Wednesday night. It's been it's been a couple weeks since we've done one of these, Seth. I think, right? It has. Yeah. We started the last one. The last one was episode 70 minus one. And uh, we started with a 69 second basically moment of silence with some giggles here and there. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie. It's refreshing to not have to do that this time. Yeah, because that is. was long. It was a re- I, I regret the decision to do that. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I don't regret the decision because I think it's funny that we. Yeah, did. like I'm not saying it's not funny. I just feel like the execution of it was like. It was tough to get through that 69 seconds. Like, that's a long time. Yeah, it was it was a very long time. And to top it off, we like we thought that it was going to be like 30 seconds. So we were like, oh, we'll just like, you know, like laugh every now and then. We'll just be like, huh, 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 like that. Doing that for 69 seconds is like painful. It is. Like, not only did we have to wait the 69 seconds, but we kept having to throw like, huh, in there. And that got old after like 10 seconds so we'll be better yeah. for the 169th one um but for now you're just gonna have to deal with regular old episode 70 i'm sorry i can't even finish the intro i just saw this video and i need to talk about it like i'm trying to get through this intro and i can't i need <laughs> to talk about this video i just it just came up on like my my feed it's a bunch of people i don't know if you've seen it it's a bunch of people in an olive garden just fighting so I've I have heard of said video, but I haven't actually watched it. You gotta watch it. It's insane. Like we're not just talking about like like who was that NFL like the Raiders player who was in like a Walmart and got into a fight a few weeks ago? Oh, I heard about that, but I have no idea who it is. It's not. It's it was he was kind of like a nobody. Um, it's not like a fight like that. There are like chairs being thrown at like kids, like little kids are like running. Oh my. You have you just have to watch this. The like so this is like a fight. This is like a this is a what what we call a what do they call it in the outsiders? Is it a rumble? Is that what they have? They're like, oh, we're all gonna have a rumble with the greasers. Is that what they do in the outsiders? I, I don't remember what they call it in the outsiders. I, I read that book in like fifth grade. Same. Dude, my favorite part is this dude with the red shoes and the white shirt that's like lean back, like hitting people as if he's on one of those speed bags. Well, I like, too, that there's, like, at the beginning when shit kind of gets, like, haywire, there's, like, a mother who, like, pulls her kids back. And then, like, a few seconds later, she, like, goes into the fight. (laughs) So it's, like, yeah, let's protect my kids first. Like, I don't know. If I was a parent and I was, like, I'd, like, be out of the Olive Garden. Like, it it shocks me that so many people, like, stuck around. Yeah. (laughs) At one point, a kid, like, walks into the middle of it and almost gets, like, domed with a chair. People are just picking up chairs and, like, threatening to throw them at each other. There's breadsticks everywhere. Tables and chairs are just thrown to the side. It it might be the world's greatest Olive Garden fight ever. Might be the world's greatest. I mean, how many Olive Garden fights are there? How many people go to Olive Garden and and do this? (laughs) Dude, like, I don't understand. How could you ever be in the state of mind to do that after eating their breadsticks? Okay, so I've never been to an Olive Garden. Oh my god, dude! The bread, like people hype up the breadsticks for good reason. They are so good. Yeah, are they? When good? I go there, I get the like. So you have the breadsticks, right? And you have to be careful because you will end up eating so many breadsticks that you don't end up eating your normal meal. 
but then yeah. I'll get chicken parm. And then every once in a while they run the special where you get a meal and you take a meal. So you get whatever your meal is and it's like certain meals that you can order. So like, so, and chicken parm will end up being one of them. So basically yeah. you pay for your, the meal that you eat there and then they make another one and give it to you in a takeout container for free. Oh, that's a nice deal. Yeah. So you I can like, like that. do that. And so I'll do that with like chicken farm and stuff. I love that place. I went there for like my graduation from high school, like my graduation really? from high school. We went oh, to so you're, big, you're a big Olive Garden. Guy. I love Olive Garden. See, I've never, I, I don't know why I've just like, never been. Like Post Malone is like a crazy Olive Garden guy. Like Jimmy Fallon video. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's huge on it. I'm not like that level, but like if we're going to a chain place to sit down and eat dinner, Olive Garden is definitely at the top of the list for me. I mean, the impression of it right now, like I'm, I'm a little scared to go to an Olive Garden now because <laughs> I don't want to fight like this to break out. We, we talk a lot of shit. We cause a lot of controversy. You know that people listening knows that, by the way, I think there's going to be a million ears and eyes on this episode. Just saying, um, I can't wait to find out what this is because I have no clue what's going on. Cause <laughs> you, I, have, you have I, every clue in the world. But I mean, it's just a running thing at this point. I mean, I'm going to assume it has something to do with the TikTok, but granted, I don't have a TikTok, so I don't see what no, we're posting on there. I don't see what people are. It doesn't really. Actually, we haven't had we haven't posted on TikTok in a while. No, I just think that the past few episodes, we've ruffled some feathers and like people keep coming back. So I don't know. Maybe I, I just have a feeling like I don't want to say anything that's going to that's going to, you know, ruffle even more. Further feathers, feather further. Yeah, screw it. Ruffle more feathers. Get more people. It is my podcast. It's 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 all of our collective podcast. But you know, like I'm on it. I'm on the show. I I co-host it. Um. So I I mean, I can say what I want. I think. I mean, you are a co-founder of TBR. So that is true. That's a good point. I think I should give myself more credit. Um. I did. You know, co-create this whole thing. So can I say whatever I want? I don't know. Maybe um, I don't. It's it's not whatever. I'm just saying there's a lot of eyes on this episode. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, you we we stir up controversy. That's what we do at TBR. That's why that's how we get like listens, you know, like go to our TikTok. People hate what we say for some reason. So I don't know. I feel like if I step foot in an Olive Garden, I might get a chair thrown at my head or something. I feel like there definitely has to be a backstory to this where it's like it was two families that already had. Was it though? Like, like, why would this happen in an Olive Garden? I don't. I could see this like being like a like a in the street kind of thing, like like neighbors who like have beef, like going at each other um, and, and like throwing like, you know, lawn furniture at each other across the fence or whatever. Like I could see that happening. Like, believe me, my family's come close to that sometimes. But the fact that it took place in an Olive Garden, it's like, what are, doesn't Olive Garden like preach like family or whatever? Isn't that like their, what's their, yeah, that's slogan? their whole thing. Let me look up. They have a, they definitely have a slogan. Uh, Olive Garden slogan. Good times. Great salad. No, when you're here, you're family. Yeah, it's clearly not. <laughs> I'm just not getting that idea well, from. The I mean, I think I think what they mean by that is like the wait staff and the managers and stuff treat you like family. Well, this is what that they don't. They can't do control. <laughs> they can't control the other. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, not every family is your perfect like 
go sit down and like no no not every family can be the carpenters where they have dinner together every sunday the quintessential carpenter family (laughs) (laughs) classic classic set oh no but um i'm just not getting the whole when you're here your family it 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 sounds to me like when you're here you're in a ufc match which is what i'm getting for wwe tables tlc Tables, chairs, tables, ladders, and chairs. Isn't that what a WWE TLC match is? No idea. I never got into wrestling. I think it's table. I had a big wrestling phase back in my heyday. Uh, when I when I peaked in life uh, was like my wrestling phase. I'm on the downslope now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. I feel like I'm at my peak right now in this moment. Do you see me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. For for those of you who are not going to eventually see part of this on TikTok. He's wearing this wonderful woven straw hat. I'm making a huge fashion statement by wearing this, by the way. It's a look. The the best part, though, is the it's not just the hat and it's not just the weird piece of string tied around the base. It's whatever that curtain is behind you that's blocking the window. What do you want me to open it? (laughs) No, 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 I'm not saying that you should open it. I'm just like, I think it's a funny looking curtain. I don't think it's ever been down. I put it down just because I like doing podcasts in the dark. As you can all tell from the video, I'm not in TBR A1 Studio A1 tonight. Uh, I'm upstairs and I have not recorded a podcast from this room since the early days of TBR. Like, I think that first summer um, when TBR like existed, I think I did like an episode about Antonio Brown in here. That was that predates you, I think. Um, that was like back in the just me and Carp days with a few others uh, who are no longer with us. But um, I haven't been in this room doing podcasts in a long time, so I'm glad to be back. But I did have to dim the lighting and get rid of the like window a little bit just so I could like feel like the you know the A1 is a dark room. So I can't kind of wanted to recreate that vibe in here. But yeah, I'm, we should I'm also very... <laughs> point out that when you say are no longer with us, it means have no longer any association with TBR, not that they're, you know, dead. Right. They're not so. dead. Yeah. No one who's worked for TBR is dead. Um, <laughs> they just aren't in TBR anymore, basically, is like what? Yeah. Is the gist of that. That's a whole other story that we'll never, ever talk about. But um, Kane's in four, though, right? What? I said Kane's in four, though, right? <laughs> Seth, see that's it's things like this that that like you and I like. <laughs> well, so part of the problem too is like I don't have to deal with these people on a daily basis. I mean, neither do you think I deal with anybody on a daily basis? No, I, look at me, I'm wearing a. Straw well, I guess hat. right with like COVID too, like it's different, but like you do go to school with some of these people. I no I, longer. I, I put my head down and I do my work and I do podcasts at night and that's that's all I do. And. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but uh, I I am aware that I'm wearing a women's hat. Um, oh, is that what that is? I didn't even yeah, know. it's my mom's. I walked into my mom's closet. I was looking for this microphone because I the microphones in Studio A1 are like in the room at, at all times. So they're like on stand. So we don't need to move them ever. But these are traveling microphones that I take with me when I go on vacation and, and such. So I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. So I walked into her closet to see if maybe it was in there. And I saw this little number right here. And I was like, I have to wear this. So I'm wearing yes. it. Nice. Yeah, that, that's what went through my head. Um, yeah. So all that 
happened. That's that's what's been going on um, in the life of us since we did the last podcast. Two big things happened since episode 69 that I will talk about quickly. Number one, I'm going to spoil it for everybody. Your boy won the TBR Masters. I can finally say it. The video is coming out in like 48 hours. It's pretty much all edited. Um, Yeah, but I donned the green jacket. It was my first individual win on tour. Um, I was I was beyond elated when I won. I it was never a doubt in my mind that I was going to win, but it was just about getting out there and sealing the deal. Um, and I did it. So the video will be coming out in a couple days. You can all watch that. It's a very very well put together video, in my opinion. I think it's going to be entertaining. Definitely our best golf video that we've done so far in terms of the production element of it. The play wasn't necessarily where I think we all wanted it to be. Um, which is always tough when you go out there to film a video and you're not playing to like the best of your ability. So it sucks because you still have to edit the video and like put all this in. Um, But I do think it is our best produced golf video so far and they're just going to keep getting better. So when will the next TBR tour event be very soon? I think we're going to, you know, we're kind of switching it up this year where last year we had the two videos. We did the scrambles kind of like the, the matches and we're still going to do that, but we're kind of going to market it as like these events. So like, events on the PGA tour. So we'll have the TBR open, a TBR like classic, a TBR, like whatever, just a bunch of different events that whenever we want to go out and film a round of golf and play, we'll just market it as like a certain event. And that's how we're going to do it. So the masters was the first of the season. I captured the green jacket. Yeah. What is our, uh, champions dinner for one going to be next year? Yeah. So, um, I haven't put much thought into what I'm serving next year before the TBR masters. Uh, I have a vision next year of the field being a lot bigger. Um, may, you know, it was a one-on-one match. Um, <laughs> this this go around, it was supposed to be three people, but one of the parties uh, quit after one hole and volunteered <laughs> to film film the rest of the round. So it became a one-on-one <laughs> match <laughs> between me and Ferulo. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And <laughs> it was funny. It, it was it was very funny. And I, I have to, like, just throw this in there. I missed Michael Lynch filming. He wasn't filming um, when we did our prior golf videos. Lynch was the dedicated cameraman. Yeah. We he was good on um, the you and um, the you veto carp. And then who else was part of that video? That was it. It was just you three. 2v1, yeah. Vito and I scrambled. He, he was very good on that. Like, Michael, yeah. very good. He did a solid um, job. You'll see a little bit of a contrast between what Michael did and what said person did for this time. Um, but, yeah, literally one hole in, this person was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to film. And I was like... I can't, I can't imagine doing that. He also had worked out, like... 30 minutes before the round, like pretty rigorous. Okay, well, that's his fault. <laughs> I know. So I was like, well, why'd you do that knowing that you were going to like play a round of golf? He was like, oh, I can't swing the club. It's like, well, not a good day to, to can't not be able to do that. We're playing 18 holes of golf today and we're filming it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why oh. it's a one-on-one. So I beat Ferulo for it. And that's all. That was the only criteria necessary for me to win the green jacket was beating Nick Ferulo. Does it really count then? Yes, of course it does. 
because because I mean, I, I you just go out there and you do what you have to do to win, you know. So it was not my decision for Brownie to quit after one hole. Granted, I don't think it would have made a difference had he played. Um, the only person I know I can't beat is uh, Carp. Uh, I don't think that unless I'm given strokes, I don't think that I could beat Carp straight up. I think I would have to. Did you give Ferulo strokes? No, because we're a similar handicap. But Carp's oh, like scratch wait, golf. Ferulo's a solid golfer. Oh, very. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. He like he like played he played we both played very well on the front nine and then he kind of just like collapsed on the back a little bit and I took advantage of that I think I had like I I think going into the back I had a pretty decent lead so I just kept telling myself I'm like all right just like don't blow it and I'll win and and I'll be putting on the green jacket and I did but uh, he he's not bad at all no but I don't think I could beat Carp straight up although some may say that I single-handedly beat Carp in TBR Tour episode two. Some might say. I think most would say. I don't know how much Vito and his weighted driver were helping you out there. <laughs> I think that I do. I think I play better when I know that there's a safety net there. So while Vito did not, I'll give Vito credit. There were definitely some holes that like we took his ball. There were definitely some like like he bailed me out on a few instances. But I think I just rose to the occasion because I knew that if I didn't, I'd have a safety net in veto. So I was like more aggressive with my shots, more taking aggressive lines, kind of going at the pin. I, I I hit some putts that like I wouldn't normally even go for. Just I was being so aggressive. Like if it didn't hit the hole, it was going to run like 30 feet past. Yeah. And it's like clear to see in the video. Like there's one on the TikTok. Um, it's like the first putt that I roll on, on the video that I put on TikTok a few weeks ago where literally if it doesn't hit the hole it's so gone and it hits the hole and goes in so um that yeah i think that i just played better with like the safety net of veto there than than anything but i think if veto wasn't there i don't think i would have been able to do it so that, that's the mindset but yeah i did win the masters so that video is coming out soon be on the lookout for that uh next tbr tour event will be soon as well and then finally, before we get into the meat of the episode, uh, update on the Pictionary thing. People so we've met. <laughs> yeah, go we've, we met Pictionary, man. Um, we met one half of the Pictionary team that drew us in Pictionary. I was actually very like, like, I don't like people have been taking like what we're like us talking about this the wrong way. So I'll just clear the air right now. I was very flattered by the Pictionary thing. And I think that it's like, I think it's funny. Like, I'm not, like, anti the Pictionary thing at all. I don't, I'm not, like, making fun of, like, I, I was very flattered by it, honestly. Um, the reason we keep talking about it is because it just so happens that there happens to be updates with the whole Pictionary thing. So right. we just keep talking about it. So if you if you don't want us to talk about it, then stop giving us updates about it. I mean, come on now. But, uh, but yeah, we met, I, I'd met him once before, um, and we were... We were at Carp's house for the night, kind of just hanging, watching, watching some sports, watching some office, whatever. Um, and this kid was nearby and, and shot me a text and asked me what I was doing. Um, and I just, I, you know, being the nice, inclusive person that I am, I was like, come on over. So he did. Um, and he met Seth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting experience for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like. 
you know, not like something that happens in the ordinary. We Seth and I were talking about it before the episode. We think it's the probably one of the first times I know that it's happened to me once or twice before. I mean, uh, people underestimate how many listens we get on this show in general. But um, but I I think think, I underestimate the amount of listens we get on this show in general. I think a lot of people do. Um, We get a good amount. I mean, when when Ron will let promotes your podcast on his LinkedIn, shit means business. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So you're going to get some listens when when you uh, when you get the promotion factor of his LinkedIn. So, yeah, a lot of traffic might be coming from like that area. But no, we we've we've always consistently gotten a good amount of streams. I think we we do have a lot of support from our fans. So I appreciate that. But it is probably one of the one of the very few times first for Seth where you know, we've met someone who listens to the show who we didn't know previously. If I put that in the right way. I think you did. Yeah, that sounded right to me. I think a few times before I've people have like I've been out in like group settings, wherever, and someone's like, oh, you do. The, you have that podcast like TBR and I don't know them. I'm like, yeah, they're like, oh, like I listen to that sometimes. Like I follow you on Instagram or like I saw your TikTok or whatever. Like, I think it's funny. Um, and but I think the majority of people who listen have ties to us in some way. Um but we do have almost 5,000 Instagram followers and I definitely don't know 5,000 people personally. So, uh, I mean, close, close number. I'm a big deal, but, uh, (laughs) definitely not 5,000. So that's where the bulk of our listening is coming from. But, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely not an ordinary experience to just like meet someone who listens to your show and hang out with them, not having known them before, but it was cool. Um, and I hope they're all still listening that we haven't scared anyone away yet. <clears throat> All right, long ass intro. Time to get into the show. Let's do it. First item on the agenda. The NHL is moving to ESPN and TNT. Seth, what do you think about this business decision? I mean, I think it's a great business decision for the NHL. I think they're going to end up getting paid close to a billion dollars from TNT alone on this deal. Um, and look, TNT is a big name. They get a lot of people watching their NBA broadcasts. They have playoff games. They have national television games. They're going to end up on, I think, three of the seven years of this deal that starts this fall. Um, they're going to have the full Stanley Cup finals. Then every year for the next seven years, they'll have half of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, and they, I think it was up to 72 games in the regular season. So, I mean, I, I think that it's good for them to get this exposure. And I kind of like how it's more than one network now. Mm-hmm. Like with the NBA, they're following the NBA model. And from a purely business standpoint, I don't think that there is a better league that is attainable to follow than the NBA right now in the United States. Cause like, it's not really attainable to reach the level of the NFL. Like, I don't right. think that there's another sport that could really touch that. But when you look at what the NBA has been able to do and how their salary salary cap has gone up like $40 million over the past, like three seasons, like remember that one crazy season where, JJ Reddick got like $30 million on a one-year deal 
from the 76ers because yeah. they weren't going to sign anybody else and they had all of that cap space. That yes. year happened because they have pumped up their revenue so much because of things like their TV deals. So I see no downside to doing this. However, that being said, there are certain levels to this where it won't be as good for the game. TNT put out a graphic, um, <laughs> at least something that I, I think came from TNT and people are saying came from TNT, uh, where they put two players on it, one of which we think they intended to be Connor McDavid, but was, was actually Andrew a photo Ferentz. of Andrew Ferentz from the weird time where he was the captain of the Edmonton Oilers. So, and w- when it comes to ESPN, they still have Barry Melrose. They have guys like uh, Bucci Mane over there who know about the sport. And then, you know, if they can get Mike Breen to do a couple of games, I'm pretty sure that he's got some experience calling hockey games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, it's certainly not his main gig. Um, but I think that knowledge is going to be the number one issue when it comes to having these games on these networks. Neither one of these networks has been really established in the NHL and in hockey for quite some time. And I think that that could raise some issues. I think there are going to be a lot of dedicated hockey fans who are really not going to enjoy this. But from a business standpoint, I think it's a great move. And I think that they really could not have done any better. Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted because everything that you just said makes a million percent sense to me. And I agree with I think that. I think that you're going you're following in the footsteps of the NBA, who's clearly leading you as the NHL. Um, I uh, I don't know what. OK, so so from a purely ratings point of view, the only issue that I have is that everyone knows my my thoughts about ESPN. I think ESPN is a failing network. And I wrote a pretty, pretty lengthy piece earlier this year. Uh, that never surfaced because our blog has been like so like coding um, that it, it just never came out. But I wrote a piece about how ESPN's dying, basically, um, and how they continue to drop in ratings and drop and drop and drop and drop. And they're like reeling and spiraling to try and to try and gain something back. I think that this is ESPN's way of kind of, of getting a bonus. I think this is a huge win for ESPN. I think if I'm going to put the winner tag on anybody, I think it's ESPN. I think ESPN just took the the NBC, NBC's biggest sport, most profitable sport away from them for like the next decade and put it on what is the premier sports network in America right now. Like you think sports network, you still think ESPN, like they're still at that point. They still have that market barrier on sports broadcasting. I just I I believe strongly that in 10 years, ESPN is going to be very close to obsolete, or at least I did, um, just purely based off of the way that their ratings have gone and that the way that they've been losing fans to, you know, more minuscule networks, to, to podcasts, to new media. Uh, that's a whole other conversation, too, is that like television may be the uh, prey to what is new media. But that's a whole other conversation. But um, I think ESPN definitely wins by doing this. I think that they just they just got the NHL. They locked up the NHL. So good for ESPN. I don't like to give 
props to ESPN that often, but I will now. It's definitely a win for ESPN. Is it a win for the NHL? My biggest concern is that I think what you have right now with the NHL broadcast package is working very well. Um, I think that you have a, you have a lot of former players and it's going to be interesting to see what they do with them too. You have a lot of yeah. former players who are working for NBC. You have like your big hitters, you have your big commentators, you have your big analysts, pretty much everyone who's working those primetime games on NBC right now knows what they're talking about. Like, like big time right. either played the game or has been around the game for a long time, enough, a, a long enough time to really like could do this with their eyes closed kind of thing. And I think that just the broadcast in general, that the way that NBC does it, I think is, is has been very successful. My concern is that by going to ESPN, is the NHL going to fall into this like trap that I think the NBA has been in where they're too young in, in what they're doing and they're trying to appeal to a younger, less enthused about sports demographic. I, I'll watch some of the things that ESPN does with the NBA and cringe. Uh, 95% of the time that I'm watching ESPN, I'm cringing. Um, it, it, they're just they're trying to be way too young. Like that's their that's their immediate reaction to losing all these fans is all right. We they think that they're losing the fans because the fans are getting older. So now we need to target the new wave of younger sports fans. And so by doing that, they're doing these stupid segments that no one wants to watch and no one gets entertained by it all. You obviously have like the shit that's worked that's been there forever. Like your sports center, your top 10, your, you know, Stephen A, his show, whatever, that's fine. But then they sprinkle in this other stuff too. And they sprinkle in these other segments and just like the way that they broadcast some of their games kind of, kind of just young, you know, that's what I'm kind of getting from ESPN. It's like, they're trying to be too young when, when really I think that, Networks have this issue where like they see a dip in ratings and all of a sudden they freak out and they throw everything out the window and try and reinvent the wheel where like your ESPN, you've created one of the biggest market barriers in sports network history. Like before ESPN existed, there was no premier sports network, really. Like CBS would broadcast sports, NBC would broadcast sports, ABC would broadcast sports, but you didn't have like a premier sports network. ESPN like invented that. And and like dominated with it. So I really never saw a need for them to change, but they did. So that's my concern with the NHL. Is it a win for the NHL? I think it's too early to say. Obviously, we haven't seen what what ESPN is going to do. But if I were the NHL, I don't know. I might have stuck with with NBC. So my my one thing is that I think that this I think ESPN has just put the nail in the coffin for NBC. What does NBC have left? The Olympics. That's Premier it. League. literally all they have is yeah. the Olympics. Because Premier League's behind a paywall, so nobody really watches that unless they're like weirdly into soccer, right? Yeah. They still have some NFL like playoff stuff. They have they Sunday, Sunday night, football, night, yeah. Right, and they still have some Super Bowl rights, but ESPN has now entered the Super Bowl conversation. Yes, because they are going to have exclusive rights to the Super Bowl. You know, they're in that like four network rotation now. They're getting more playoff games. They have Monday Night Football, which you can argue a lot of the times is a little bit more popular than Sunday Night Football. Right. Because after everyone's watched all day long football, there are a lot of people who are just too tuckered out by 8 p.m. to watch Sunday Night Football. Yeah. 
ESPN might be saying like this could be it for NBC when it comes to sports. NBC might be done in this yeah. area. You know, come, come the next time that it's time for the any for NFL to negotiate, you know, maybe NBC has a little bit of extra money sitting around because they're no longer paying the NHL for the rights to broadcast their games. But I don't know that they're going to have it. I don't know that they're going to have enough to stick in this football thing. And then all they're going to have left is the Olympics, which I don't know how popular next year's Olympics is going to be, given that it's in China. And, you know, China hasn't been looking great in the media as of the last year or so. You know, it's not like people are swarming to try and watch the Tokyo games this summer. NBC's got a problem on their hands. The other thing, too, with NBC is that it is is Peacock. I think Peacock's an issue for NBC because they're trying to move everything to Peacock. So they're, like, liquidating themselves by creating this, like, second um, streaming platform, basically. But it's, like, a live streaming platform. So, like, if I want to watch, like... Um, I, I like watching Premier League soccer. I'm a fan. So Sunday mornings, they always have Premier League on, but it's not on NBC. You have to go to Peacock to do it. And that's like, so it'd be like watching live sports on Netflix, which I'm sure for appeals to a lot of people. But if you're like, a, if you're like a sports watcher like us, if you're a sports gambler, allegedly like us, you're kind of flipping back and forth if your team's not involved. So I won't sit and watch two and a half hours of a Premier League soccer game straight. I like to have the Premier League on. I'll flip over if it's a Sunday. I'll flip over to some golf. I'll flip over to like a, a matinee hockey game if it's on. Peacock's like, I don't know if you've like used Peacock that much, but it's so hard to use. It's slow. It's non-responsive. The, it, it, it's like, oh my God, they're trying to like make another Netflix. And this is like Netflix, the handicapped version of Netflix. So doing the whole flip back and forth thing just doesn't work on Peacock. And I think that's their issue is that they were losing. See, NBC, this is the issue with being as big as NBC is, is like your competitors start to pile up and you have an issue targeting which competitor you're going to go at next. So uh, and one of NBC's biggest competitors became Netflix because Netflix had the rights to a lot of former NBC shows. Friends in the Office right. were the two biggest ones that were pulled off of Netflix. So Netflix had those shows, but NBC owned the overarching rights. So when everyone was going to Netflix to watch these shows, NBC was like, crap, this is our show. You know, these are our shows. We People should be coming to us and we should be getting this revenue. So they pull it from Netflix and to combat Netflix, they create their own streaming platform, which is Peacock. But it it's just not the same. So, like, I think a lot more people are forfeiting watching those shows and continuing to use the easily accessible platform like Netflix than, you know, just going over to Peacock to continue watching those shows. So that's Netflix, or NBC's issue is like, which competitor are you going to target? Because Netflix became a big competitor. ESPN on the sports side of things became a big competitor. You have the other three major broadcasting networks in America. At a certain point, like, like I think you said, like ESPN put the nail on the coffin for NBC sports, definitely, with this move. You just lost the NHL. I don't think they're broadcasting on a regular basis in American sport anymore. On a regular basis, they don't have the no. rights to. So, like, NBC would have NHL games on pretty regularly. And when they don't, they have the Premier League. You just lost the NHL. You don't have a major four sport in America anymore. You have the NFL one day a week. Yep. One night a week where, like, 
all right, people, people are going to watch, obviously. Yeah, but I like what you said, too, especially because the Sunday night football games like tend to suck. Um, like like the best premier games have been Monday and Thursday nights now, which is odd. And Monday night is ESPN, right? Yep. Monday night's ESPN. And then Thursday has been Amazon Prime Video and NFL Network. Yeah. So the, you're, you're losing out big time if you're NBC. So I think NBC loses. Here's my question. How and I don't know the answer to to this, like like really all these NHL analysts who work for NBC Sports, obviously not going to continue to work for NBC Sports. Do they do they have contracts with NBC Sports? Do they have contracts with the NHL? Like how how does this? work? So they definitely have contracts with NBC Sports. I imagine that they're going to have some sort of void that they're allowed to um, basically, I would imagine that after the end of the season because you know and it's different from person to person right because when you look at these contracts you know if you're patrick sharp you're not working during the summer so yeah you could he might have his contract structured in a way where he only gets paid when he's working or he could also have it so he's probably getting you know for you know just for argument's sake let's say he gets two hundred thousand dollars a year right and we'll say that he works 50 games right so he gets a a paycheck of four thousand dollars a week basically or you know well not not a week it's probably a little bit more than that because he you know he's you know gonna do more than one game a week if he's doing 50 games but you know, say that's what it is. But if he's getting paid over the course of the entire, you know, year, that's a little bit less than four thousand dollars a paycheck, right? Yeah. So, and his contract would then be from season to season. So his contract would theoretically run through the end of the season. Then he'd be a free agent, right? And they'd probably cut out the rest of the years of the contract. Then where it gets tricky is when you have people. And, you know, if you're an NFL player, you can actually structure your contract so you get paid year round as opposed to just getting game checks. Um, But, you know, so say that you're a person who gets paid year round by NBC and you're in this contract that you and you say you've got two, three years left on your deal, which I don't think is going to be the case because NBC probably structured their contracts with their talent around the TV deal that they had with the NHL. Because like yeah. these TV deals are for a set amount of time, so they probably knew, okay, our TV deal comes up at the end of the 2020-2021 season, so we will make sure that when we're signing people, we're not signing them past that season. Um, right, and, so and then they, if, they were to re, if they were to get the deal back, they'd reassess and re-sign. That makes sense. Right, exactly. So like if, where it gets tricky is when if there is someone who's getting paid year-round because that's how they've structured the contract. NBC's on the hook to pay them technically because they can't, you know, there's no, they don't have grounds to fire them, right? So mm-hmm. they'll probably reach some level of a buyout or they'll say, hey, we'll continue to pay you until you've picked up another job. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I understand that a guy like Patrick Sharp, a guy like Anson Carter, they don't need this money. Um, obviously, they both played in the NHL and they had pretty sexual, successful careers in the NHL. Um, but like, I think my, my biggest issue is like, I I like what they're doing. I love their analysis. I think, you know, when they go inside the booth um, in between periods for like the one game a year that the Bruins are on NBC Sports, because NBC Sports loves the Penguins and the Blackhawks. 
Um, I like their analysis. I think that obviously they know the game. They both played it. Um, right. uh, and they've, and the, the analysts who haven't, I mean, they, they had Corey Schneider in there at one point, they had Scott Hartnell in there at one point they had, you know, they're bringing in these former players who you wouldn't necessarily expect to, to know this much about and be this comfortable in front of the camera, in front of the mic, whatever it is. And they are surprisingly like they're good. Like Scott Hartnell, say what you will about his career, especially if you're a Boston person, say what you will about, you know, his time in Philadelphia. He he knows the game of hockey and he can definitely communicate that on TV. So like, I don't want to lose these guys because I like their analysis and I'd rather not see like some, some B list hacks over at ESPN try and replicate the job that I think has been done very well by the guys at NBC. So I guess my hope is that like, Hey, maybe ESPN has the sense to like get these guys, get some guys from NHL network, get like Kevin weeks, get someone from over there and offer him a job at ESPN to do the games or to do the uh, analysis. I mean, Barry Melrose is like the NHL guy, the one day a year that, that ESPN decides to talk about the NHL. He like that, you know, they, they roll him out of the closet or whatever. And they're like, all right, get Barry Melrose because they never talked about the NHL. That's another weird thing too. Is like the ESPN, ESPN just never talks about the NHL ever. Right. And now they own the broadcasting rights for like the next decade. So it's just going to be interesting to see how this works. Like if it, if it were like the NBA coming to ESPN, I'd be like, all right, this makes so much sense because everyone at ESPN knows everything about the NBA. So you could just pick and choose your guys to do the games but you literally have one hockey guy at ESPN that any of us can name. Like, I think I could go through the roster of NBC sports guys right now and be like, yep, he does the games. He does the inside the glass with Boosh or with Pierre, you know, but I can't do that at ESPN because they have one, one guy. So it's really going to be interesting to see what they do. I hope that they pull from the pool of familiarity and like the people that we know, because then I think it would, it would run a lot smoother, but it's definitely going to be interesting, interesting to see how they handle it. Um, I, I think it, if, if done right, this could be very, could go very well. The, the NHL was on ESPN like early in our lives. I think early two thousands, they were on ESPN. I think they did a good job with it. Uh, Gary Thorne was the commentator, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And, get, pull Gary Thorne out of the woodworks, man. Yeah. He had a great voice, a great voice for television. Like I'd bring him back in a heartbeat, get a nice, you know, guy on his side, um, like a sunny day type character. <laughs> backyard sports sunny day um but uh but yeah get someone like that put them together and let's make this work because i think it could be electric especially like playoffs if you get the like gary thorne in the playoffs is electric get jack edwards used to jack edwards used to work at espn way back when yeah he did it's funny i'm trying (laughs) to think of what it was that i used to that i watched I want to say they had clips of him in last the dance. last dance. Yeah. Then that's you're, where you're I a thousand was percent like, right. Yep. That's where it was like, Oh wait. Yeah. He did work for them. Didn't I he? think they've, I think he's in a, a decent amount of 30 for thirties about sports from that era. Like I think he was yeah. in long gone summer too with Sosa and McGuire. I think I haven't had the chance to in any, I think most of the 90, cause he was like their premier anchor at one point uh, or at least one of them at when, you know, doing sports center or whatever. So like maybe, maybe you get him over to ESPN and, and Nesson can finally get a halfway decent commentator. Dude, as, as somebody who wants to do exactly what Jack Edwards has done with his career, like yeah. 
it just feels like the dream what he's been able to Are you to putting do. in your like, are you putting your name in the in the running right now, sir? Dude, <laughs> yes, PN, if you ever hear this, hire me, please. I would love to. I have tons of film of me doing play-by-play broadcasts for collegiate division one hockey. I'm very confident in my skills. I know that I can do an NHL broadcast. Come on, send me your info. I'll send you all of my portfolio and you can, you know, we'll, we'll hash this out. I am more than willing to become the face of NHL on TNT or NHL on ESPN. Would love to. I, I'm not dead yet, Seth, but I would be rolling over in my grave if I were after hearing that uh, a co-host of a TBR podcast and an employee at TBR Sports just just offered to be the face of ESPN, our, our literal biggest enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally. I, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Stephen A. Smith makes like eight mil a year, right? I don't expect to make eight mil a year. But Mike Breen is a national play-by-play guy for ESPN. He makes like two and a half, three million a year. I will sell out for that money 100%. Oh, you know what I just realized? Are ESPN and TSN related to each other? Because I feel like they are. They are, yes. TSN is yeah, owned so by all the, So all the TSN guys are going to do the hockey. That's what it is. That's I would, yeah, probably. Just, I, you would that, think. Just cross my mind. Yeah, there you go. They're, those are going to be your your guys. All the all the Canadians are going to be doing. Well, the hey, hunt. TNT. I like Georgia. Pretty cool place. <laughs> I Peaches think I are think, one of my favorite fruits. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think that Seth, in the middle of a TBR podcast, just put out his resume for ESPN. I if mean, I'm I not, have applied to ESPN before. Like, I've applied for internships. This is right? news to me. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, the guy who wrote an article that said, here's why ESPN will be dead in 10 years. Co-hosting a podcast with a kid who's applying to work there. Oh, my God, Seth. Sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> Dude, I'm just, I'm just trying to get into the industry and get to talk about sports on TV for a living. And if that means that I do that at ESPN or if that means that I do that at a TNT or a CBS, I don't care if you're putting money in my pocket that will put food on my family's table and you're giving me the opportunity to talk about sports. I will do it. Listen, I think we're going to have a, a decent amount of salary coming our way very soon here at TBR. So I like the sound of that. <laughs> Not to worry. Yeah, um, I've, I've been talking to some to some companies about possibly sponsoring TBR Whiffs season this year. By the way, I think the Mets are coming back too. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. We are waiting on an internship that I applied to today. We'll see what happens with that. I mean, even if you get it, like I still think I'm going to bring the Mets back and maybe you just like are the captain or you're like a co-captain. Right. But no, I mean no. I mean, who knows what happens with this interview? And I don't think that it's going to be like a full 40 hour a week job. Yeah. So. And TBR Wiffle, we, we've kind of we've been actually doing a lot of work on it. Shout out to Michael Lynch. He and I have been like coordinating big time about TBR Wiffle Ball. So it's definitely going to look better this year. We are going to finish the season this year. But I was thinking about it. And I think the Dodgers died with the death of the season last year. I think they did. I, I, I don't see any reason to just bring the Dodgers back like the players can stay um but i think that they died with the uh with the death of the season last year so 
we're on to we're on to year two. The Diamondbacks honorary champions from last year finishing in first and we've got a brand new season. No COVID either. So hoorah. But yeah. Um all right. Let's move swiftly along. On the subject of the NHL, the Bruins bottom six forwards. Let's talk about it. Jake DeBrusque was scratched last night. Your thoughts as to as to why or not why, but like just your thoughts about the whole situation. I mean I like Jake DeBrusque as a human being. I wish for him to have success in the NHL. I don't know that his success in the NHL is going to come as a member of the Boston Bruins. Oh. It just it at oh. this point it just doesn't seem like he fits into the future plan. It doesn't seem as though he is producing at a level that's going to create that for him as of right now the way the lines are slotting up and honestly it looks great to me for a lot of reasons so this bottom six is looking like nick ritchie sean corrali and charlie Coyle, trent frederick curtis lazar and chris wagner that's what i'm looking at currently i would prefer to swap Lazar, Frederick, and, and Rich. Or how would I want to do this? I would swap Frederick and Richie, and then put Richie on the third line right wing with Coyle at the center, and then bring Corrali back down to the fourth line so that it's Corrali, Lazar, and Wagner. Um, just because I like the three of them together. But Frederick is outstanding. I don't think either one of us thinks that he should be out of the lineup. And then Nick Ritchie has actually had a really good year this year. 20 points. Yeah, I don't like there's no just like and you're not going to take Wagner out of the lineup because he's grit grind. That's not DeBrusque game. And you need the grit grind guys out there. Coyle is underperformed this year, but he's still overperformed DeBrusque, especially because Coyle has the um flexibility of special teams and playing center and right wing like he can be a winger and a center so like there's nobody in that bottom six that i can look at and justifiably say that they should get scratched in favor of jake debrusque and i hate to say it because he looked so good in his first year or two with bruins but it just doesn't seem like He's there. I mean, you're. Lo- I'm looking at um, this website that does line combinations, and as far as the ratings go, the Bruins have the best first line in the NHL with Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasta. Then they have the tenth best second line, the eleventh best third line. And then Frederick doesn't have a rating, so their um, fourth line is 23rd. But you're essentially looking at a team that's going to dominate you with their first line and then hold their own with pretty much every other team in the league, if not be better than every other team in the league with the rest of their line. I just, and if Dabrowski is going to mess up that chemistry, it makes sense for him to not be in the lineup. 
Yeah. So here's the thing about Jake DeBrusque. I mean, if you if you've listened to this show, if you have a pulse, if you have a heartbeat, then, you know, I mean, he's on my phone case. Like I, I, I love Jake DeBrusque. Like it, long before he even put on a Bruins uniform, he was my guy. I just like the way he plays. Here's the issue with Jake DeBrusque this season. He's not playing bad. Like that's the issue is that he's not playing poorly. The issue is that he was brought onto this team and put into this lineup to score goals, to be an offensive presence, to be a playmaker. He's not a grit and grind kind of guy. And, and, you know, he can't be a bottom six four. you know, he just, he just can't like he can, he can play in the bottom six of lines. He can be a third or fourth line. A third line probably is his like floor. He can be a third line guy. But he needs to be producing. So Jake DeBrusque's game is all dependent on whether he's putting the puck in the net or not. He's not finishing. So, you know, I've gone to a few Bruins games. I've watched every game, but I've gone to a few since they opened back up for COVID. And I watched Jake DeBrusque. He's not playing bad at all. He's doing all the things that he's been doing his entire career. He's getting into the areas. He's creating plays. He's creating space. He's getting the puck into the right places. The issue is he's not finished. So that's my analysis of it is that his his game or qualifying his game or, or what, you know, categorizing his play, trying to, you know, put like a, a label on it, whatever, how well he's playing is directly dependent on whether he's scoring goals or not. And he's not he's just not scoring goals. He's not shooting the puck at all. He's not getting into areas where he can score. He's not giving himself chances to score. But that being said, his game hasn't changed. He's playing the same game, and I think he's playing well, and I think he's been putting out a good effort. But he needs to be finishing. That's the issue, and he's not doing it this year. Maybe he's in, like, an off-year slump year, but I don't know. Cassidy sent him a message, like, a month ago and scratched him. He comes back the next game and probably is the best, one of the better offensive games a Bruins player has had this year. I think Jake DeBrusque probably had five plus shots that game. He scored a very nice goal. He scored a key goal. That's the other thing, too, is Jake DeBrusque was always known for scoring key goals and key moments. He wouldn't just score like throwaway goals at the end of games. He would score game decisive goals. Um, right. So he comes back and he does that and he plays one of his better games. But then he he slides back into this like, I'm just going to go out there and give a good effort. And like, I'm not going to score. I'm not going to put the puck in the net. And that's what he's been doing. So he gets scratched again last night. I heard John Scott say this on his podcast. I saw a clip of his podcast. Like, you know, how many more times can Cassidy do this? You know, before it's like, all right, we're just done with you. Like, like you can, there's only so many times you can send this message. You can't continue to scratch, healthy scratch a guy and then put him back in the lineup in hopes of lighting a fire under his ass and creating a spark because that's an immediate reaction. You're going to get like that one game reaction out of him. So like, is that what you want Jake DeBrusque to be? for the rest of his Bruins career, like an in and out of the lineup kind of guy where like every time he gets scratched, it's like, all right, now he's going to put the puck in the net. He played that game after he got scratched, like, like he was going to get traded had he not scored a goal. And he might have, you know, like if Jake DeBrus could come out after getting healthy scratch and had a shitty game, he might not be on the team anymore because his name, despite him having that great game was floated around in, in numerous trade rumors. And I think they tried to trade him and were unsuccessful in doing so. So it's clear that they were ready to part ways with Jake DeBrusque. But, you know, at a certain point, obviously you can't trade him for the rest of this year, but at a certain like he might be gone, you know, so he needs to start playing and putting the puck in the net. Like if he doesn't, he's going to be gone from Boston. They're going to send they're going to send him out. 
And they could very well do that this offseason has if he were to not turn it on. Do I think he's going to? I don't know. You put him back in the lineup tomorrow night. I think he scores a goal after getting a healthy scratch. That's like my opinion. Obviously, I have a small sample size of like judging Jake DeBrusque after being healthy scratched. But um, I, I don't know. I think that's his biggest issue is just not finishing. I mean, here's the problem with DeBrusque on this team right now. Even with DeBrusque playing at his absolute best, the best that we've ever seen him play, which, you know, to be fair, he's been basically a point every other game player for his entire career. He had 19 goals last year, had 27 the year before that, had 16 the year before that. Even at his best, which we could continue, you know, consider that to be, we'll call that his 2018-19 campaign, because he had one less point than 17-18 in two last games. He's not better than the guys that we have in the top six right now, right? Like, you know, as much as you want to, like, forget about how he's producing from a statistical standpoint. When you watch the games. There's like stats or watching like everybody knows he's not better than Marshan. He's not better than Bergeron. He's not better than um, Pasta, Pasta. Right. So right. there's no yeah. argument there. Hall's been lights out ever. Yeah. Since and he Taylor got- Hall's like was an MVP a few years ago. So obviously, yeah. David Krejci is a center, right? So you can't really compare the two of them. But even then. Krejci still produces and puts out on the stat sheet. He's a great face-off guy. He's over 50%. I think he's like 55% on the year in the face-off dot, right? Yeah. So he's not going to be above him. And then Craig Smith. You want to talk about, like, Smith has finally started to actually put points up. But you want to talk about a guy that is doing all of the right things and has been doing all of the right things, but maybe just hasn't finished. That was Craig Smith for the entire first, like, 30 games of the year. Yeah. Like, he's sitting at 27 points right now, I think. And he'll be seventh player of the year, too. Award. Yeah, I I would be surprised if he wasn't seventh player. Yeah, he's sitting here in 47 games. He's got 27 points. That's the fifth most on the Bruins right now. And honestly, he could probably be ahead of Pasta at 42 points. Yeah. Because of the amount of goals that this guy, like, we're talking shots that missed by maybe an inch or just barely got blocked. Like, this dude has been everywhere all year long. So there's really no argument for DeBrusque to be in that top six. No, and there's not. Think about the line that he was playing on for the past three years where he was putting up close to 20 goals a year. He was playing with Krejci on that second line for the most part. That's where most of his minutes were coming from. Yeah. So DeBrusque is kind of the type of player where he might not necessarily have the talent to be a top six guy, but he's going to produce the most when he's in that top six. And then he's not necessarily going to produce as well when he's in that bottom six. He's not going to, you know, because I, I think the issue with DeBrusque is I think he feels like he has to, contribute more when he's in the bottom six. And I think he plays a little bit more free and easy when he's in the top six, but there's just no room for him in the top six right now. You just can't put him up there. And I think that's the issue. And so maybe I think the only way that DeBrusque 
stays with the Bruins past this offseason is if they don't re-sign Taylor Hall. If Hall goes, yeah. I think they can keep DeBrusque. But if Hall stays, there, I don't think there's room for DeBrusque on the roster. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Um, I just... I don't know. Talking to it, yeah, I agree with everything that you just said, and I think that like it's true. The other thing too is like if you get healthy scratch twice in a season, you're once in a season enough, especially a guy like Jake DeBrusque who like was on like the first line when there was like when there was a gap on that first line or an injury. Like Pasta got hurt for like a good amount a few years ago. Like Jake DeBrusque was like in that role, and if he wasn't, he was like he was in the top six and he was playing well and he was putting up points and he was scoring goals. So to go from that to like being a healthy scratch that fucks with your mind, he's definitely in his head. So can he turn it around? I don't know. Like I said, I think it's more of like an immediate reaction and like Cassidy can't keep doing this at a certain point. You can't just keep scratching Jake DeBrusque and then putting him back in the lineup and scratching and putting him back in the lineup in the hopes of like getting a surge at a certain point. It's like, all right, we're just done with him. and We got to move on. Do I want that to be the case? Absolutely not. This is my favorite player we're talking about, but I am a realist at the same time. So Yeah. I don't know. Looking big or not big picture, but down the stretch here, down the, the the final sprint to the playoffs. Do you think this team is a Stanley Cup team? Yeah. You Dude, do? I, the, the combination of Rask and Swayman, you know, obviously it, it's tough to know what a rookie goaltender is going to do in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So there's no way to predict that, right? Young guys, it's it's all up in the air. But Swayman, from everything I've been seeing when I watch him play, looks like a legit goaltender. And so I think that the one-two punch of them is going to propel them on the back end. The, you know, we need Carlo back. That is huge. If Carlo can be back and be healthy for the entire playoffs, we will make a deep playoff run. I have no worries. For the first time in forever, I have no worries about our forward core. Really? You had worries in 2019? Oh yeah. Big worries. Really? 2019 was similar to the 20, what was that? 18. It was 2018 when we lost to Tampa in the first round, right? Second or second round, right? Second round. That entire 2018 campaign, the Bruins did not win a single game in which Marshan pasta or Bergeron did not get a point. Yep. I think that we have a team put together where Marshan, Pasta, and Bergeron could go out there and not record a single point, and we can beat a team, any team by two. We can beat the Caps in a seven-game series easily. We can beat the Penguins in a seven-game series easily. The Islanders, not even going to be close. Now, granted, you do have to see some other teams from other divisions. That's fine. The Lightning are banged up. I don't know how good they you know, really are going to be this year. Florida's a wild card. That's a team where it's like that could go either way. I don't know that there's really a team out there, especially like, I just feel like the Bruins hit something like something clicked when they made the moves around the deadline, when they got Riley, when they got Lazar, when they got Hall, they came back. And even these games that they've lost, they haven't been blown out other than that one game against Washington. And, and that every was other deadline, right? Was the was that game? Oh, yeah, that was that was the first. That was the last game pre-deadline, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So they haven't been blown out really since they got Hall. And even in the games that they're losing, they look unreal. They're competitive. Yeah. 
I see this as a team where I would be disappointed if they didn't at least make the conference finals. Yeah, and I think I think they will. I here's how I see like like you said with the Taylor Hall trade. I think that whole everything clicked. I think not only was you know the obvious bringing in Taylor Hall, you know, a, a, a player of his caliber and giving up so little for him, especially if he said he wants to re-sign for like two to three years and be here for like a good little while, especially if that reigns true, then holy crap, this was a huge deal for the Bruins. Very unlike them to be this active at the deadline, actually getting like a good player. I think that not only was bringing him in, obviously just like, you know, he's putting up points, he's been scoring goals, he's been, you know, making great plays, he's putting out a good effort. I think it also just provided a jump to the team offensively. I think bringing in Taylor Hall kind of was like a wake up call to everyone's like, holy crap, like we have this team now. We got to do something. We've got this guy like a guy like David Pasternak was definitely like jump started by this trade. He wasn't playing all that well before the deadline. You bring in a counterpart of his who basically like could give him a run for his money in point total any given year, if not outscore David Pasternak. You bring him in and he's right behind Pasternak on the second line. David Pasternak definitely said to himself, like, if I want if I want to keep this spot, I'm going to have to put up points. And he has been. David Pasternak has been scoring goals for an assist since the deadline, as has Taylor Hall. I think it just provided an overall spark to this team that was struggling before the deadline, that was like crawling to the deadline just to get to that break and to make a move to provide some life. And they have life now. And by the way, Riley and Lazar, holy crap, great moves as well. Unreal. Great moves by the Bruins. I'll I'll admit, when I heard that Mike Riley was getting traded here, I was like, who the hell is that? I was like, another another defensive scrub that the Bruins pick up at the deadline. This kid's awesome. I think, yeah, I think the one concern with this game is that he turns the puck over a little bit. He's a little lackadaisical with the puck at some times. But that's that's an easily, like, refinable trait to have as a hockey player. Dude's got five assists in nine games. He's essentially recreating the Tory Krug offensive production. Yes. Yes, he is. And Lazar, too, fell off the yeah. face of the earth after the World Juniors way back when, when he played for Canada. Literally fell off the face of the earth. He was in Ottawa at one point. And I, was, and I remember Curtis Lazar very well being in Ottawa. Kind of like a Marchand-esque player. Same build, same kind of style. He goes. He goes. So I like his game a lot. I, I think those were the three missing pieces that you need. I have two concerns with this team in relation to the Stanley Cup. Um, one is that um, I'm concerned about the bottom six. Um, That's it, fair. I, I, I think it could, too, just be it's such a contrast to 2019 where the bottom six was literally outscoring the top six in the postseason. Like, you remember Charlie Coyle coming off third line, unreal amount of points. Joe Hansen. Third line, unreal amount of points. Nordstrom, fourth line. Wagner, fourth line. You forget that those six forwards during the 2019 run were literally outscoring our top guys, like on any given night. Coyle had like 20-something points in the 2019 Cup run. It was so unreal. And he was a deadline guy, too. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, he had barely been with the team. Granted, he's a Boston kid, and he's, like, played and trained with all these guys, so I understand it. Um, but and he fit very well into that culture that year. I'm concerned about him this year, but 
I think it's just different that your bottom six. I, I mean, great. It's a weird thing for me to say right now that, oh, I'm concerned because the, I don't think the bottom six forwards are, are, are playing all that well. Like I want more production from the bottom six when our top six guy or like our top four guys, at least top five and six, like throw Krejci. I, I, was, I think you can say top six easily. I guess it's Smith and especially, especially your top four. Are, right. are just like putting up points like it's nobody's business. It, it is a little like weird for me to say that I want more from the bottom six, especially in the postseason. A win's a win. I don't care who scores in the postseason. Yeah. Exactly. Obviously, when we record podcasts during this Bruins postseason run, we're going to sit here and say, I want more from this guy. I want more from this guy. But hey, if we're winning games, I don't care who scores. Mike Riley could have 30 goals in the playoffs and Patrice Bergeron could have none. And I wouldn't care if we go to the Stanley Cup finals. You can throw me out there, Seth, for all I can. <laughs> if these were winning games, I'll do. I'll go block a few shots out there. One, I'll take an OV slap shot to the chest if it means that the Bruins are going to go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't care. Um, but yeah, I, I am a little concerned with the bottom six. I I, I think it's just because there's been so much turnover. Like Jake Dabrowski's right. in. Jake Dabrowski's out. Frederick's been sick. The, the other thing too is like the the illnesses and the COVIDs and the sicknesses and the injuries or whatever have been plaguing this team. We haven't really had a consistent bottom six all year, especially now with this trade. Jake DeBrusque was never in that bottom six, and he gets dropped down when Taylor Hall comes up. Nick Ritchie's on the power play, and he's the bottom six. Like, I don't, whatever. It's all over the place right now. I do have – I think, like, come playoff time, I would like to see a little more from the bottom six. My second concern is that this team can't seem to win games that matter. They can go and play the Buffalo Sabres and, and, and dog them all day. They can beat the Capitals in like a nice matinee game. But, you know, they had the opportunity to pick up four big points against Pittsburgh and they lost a one nothing game on Sunday. Granted, they came back last night and won three to one. But, hey, those would have been four big points to get. And you're only walking away with two. You played the Sabres, the worst team in the NHL, three games back to back to back. You had the opportunity to get six big points. You come away with four beggars can't be choosers. But this team needs to step up in big moments, and I haven't seen them do that yet. You're one point behind the Islanders and two games back because of the COVID little outbreak that we had at the, in the middle of March. You yeah, need I mean, to start stringing together wins that matter, not just wins that are contributing to the growth of the team and moving up in the standings. You were the number one team at one point in this division, and now you're like a bubble playoff team. Yes, the Bruins are going to make the playoffs. I don't think the Rangers are going to surge past us. If anyone, I think – we're going to leapfrog the Islanders and the Rangers could could leapfrog the Islanders, too, if the Islanders slide because the Rangers have been hot. So have the Bruins. The Bruins need to start winning games that matter, and they haven't done that yet. So like come playoff time, if you're in a big game six down three, two, is this team going to show up with their backs against the wall and like win a game? Because I haven't seen them win a game that matters yet this year. I mean, they have two games in hand on the Penguins, right? So say they had won both these games. Bruins would have 64 points, Penguins would have 65, and the Bruins would have two games in hand. Now, they, they're four points up on the Rangers with two games in hand on the Rangers. So you figure the Rangers would have to win three games at the same time as the Bruins lose three games, which, I mean, how many games are they playing this year? 56? 56. Is that what it was? 56. Yeah. yeah. The Bruins are not going to lose three of their next eight games. That's just not going to happen. Yep. So when I look at it, I think we will jump the Islanders, especially because they're on that three game losing streak. I think we 
likely will get very close to the Penguins, if not past them. And depending on what, ha- like, the, the division is still well within reach for the Bruins right now. Think so? I mean, think about it. So the Capitals have seven games left. They only have, and Bruins have a game in hand on them, right? So Bruins realistically are four game, four points back with seven games left. Yeah. The Bruins' remaining schedule. Assuming, assuming though that the Capitals are going to win an, an equal amount of games as, as we are when we aren't playing them. Like I don't like I don't think right. the Capitals are going to drop seven games. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our next eight games, two against the Sabers, that's four points. Two against the Devils, that's three points because we're gonna lose one of those. That's guaranteed. In a shootout, because <laughs> Devils. Yeah, in a shootout, exactly. Okay? So we're, we're looking at seven total, at least six, right? Because for all we know, we'll lose both those games. So, so six or seven, right? Then the Rangers for two games. Okay, those are both at home. We will beat the Rangers. That's another. That brings us up to ten or eleven points. Okay. Then we play the Islanders at home, last game of the regular season. Both of us will be there, I believe, because that's the game that got rescheduled. So, oh, we still have tickets to that. Yes, we still have tickets to that. Oh, I completely. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so then that brings us up to about 12, 13 points. And then we'll give the Capitals the last game of the regular season. Right. So we're looking at another 12 to 13 points. That puts us up to. 74 to 75. Now let's look at the capital schedule. That's the the capitals, thing, though, like, I think we can sit here and say they're going to win these games. But like my point, exactly. They played the Sabres three times last week. They should have beaten them three times. And like they did. So is this team going to show up and win these games that we think they're going to that definitely matter? Like these are the games yes. that matter, if, especially like tomorrow night. You need to win tomorrow night. You're one point behind the Islanders and they they have played more games than we have, so we can theoretically jump them big time if we win this game tomorrow night because we would jump them straight up. And then by the end of the season, once it all levels out, I think we'd be like miles ahead of them. But are they are the Bruins going to show up when it matters because they're getting they're getting skittish. They're getting the yips every time they, they, they go to move up in the standings. They get the yips. Right. And so Capitals remaining schedule two games against the Penguins. That's a toss-up, right? We'll give them two points there. Okay. Yeah, if that. And two games against the Rangers. We'll give should, them four points because we gave the Bruins four points. There, should, yeah, okay? should be four. So we'll we'll say they've got six more points. Two against the Flyers. Flyers can steal one of those. Yeah, it's probably a two point little mini series for the Cavs. Right. So we'll say we'll say eight or nine, right? Because we'll we'll give them three points, you know. And then the Bruins game, which we said that we would get them. So that would be 11 points. I think that keeps them ahead of the Bruins because we said 75 points for the Bruins, and that would give them 79. So basically the Capitals need to lose both to the Penguins or at least one. They need to lose at least one of the Rangers. They need to lose at least one of the Flyers. If that happens, that last game of the season, Bruins-Caps, could be the game that decides the East Division. All right. I like that. But the Bruins, like, it's well within reach. Because the Bruins have who would, a very who would you rather who would you rather play in the first round of the playoffs? My ideal team to play in the first round of the playoffs is either the uh, is the Islanders is, is it? period the Islanders 
Okay, let now, me phrase it this I'll, way. I'll Who's the team you'd least want to play first? The Caps. Really? There's, I think it's there's too much experience. There's too much. We play Pittsburgh well in the playoffs every time we see them. There's too yeah, much like, playoff like, experience. We, the last time we saw the Capitals the- in the playoffs was 2012. I think we. I think of the four teams in the division. I mean, this this might be statistically true of the four teams at the top or the three teams aside from us at the top of the division. I think we've we've handled the Capitals the best this season. I think that's a fair. I mean, we just we just beat the Islanders for the first time. I feel like the Penguins we always split with them. I feel like we've beaten Washington pretty regularly, except for like the big blowout game. There was like an overtime win. Like I was down in North Carolina. Ovi had like that blue line shot that went in uh, in overtime. Right. I feel like we've probably taken the most points away from the Capitals. I think that's fair. And I think I, I think know, I just, rivalry there too. There's like a like I, the pot is boiling between these two teams. I, even if we don't see them in the first round, I want to see the Capitals in the playoffs. Yeah, Caps defensively, I and from a goaltending standpoint, I think are the weakest team in that top four of the East right now. Because I think the Penguins are at least solid enough defensively to make up for some of their goaltending shortcomings. Yeah. I just I feel like that Caps team is so tight knit and there's so much Stanley Cup winning experience on that team that they are the team of like say the playoffs was to end today just with different it's, it's like and say these four teams are locked in just not necessarily at the same seed right so it's yeah. the Caps, Penguins, Islanders, Bruins of those four teams and we can lump the Rangers in there because the Rangers are close enough that they can realistically make the playoffs. I think that's it as far as East division teams go. I don't think anyone else can really, you know, make a, a real push in of those five, you know, those four potential opponents for the Bruins, the caps are my least favorite option round one. I would much rather we get the Penguins round one, you know, maybe have to battle a little bit like that could that's going to be a six game series in all likelihood. But would I rather have a six game series against the Penguins that I'm fairly confident that we're going to win and then hopefully have the chance that the Islanders pull off an upset or the Rangers pull off an upset against the Caps? Yeah, I would absolutely rather have to deal with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin round one. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just I'm also, you know, as an optimistic Bruins fan, yes, I'd much rather play like the worst team. But as a fan of hockey and as a fan of like sports, Bruins Capitals in the playoffs this year, after all the bullshit that's happened this year, especially that last game, I was in the building for that last game. It was electric as hell. But the the hit from behind, the fights, the scrums, Tom Wilson gets thrown out of like every yeah, game. Screw Tom Wilson. I hate Tom Wilson. I hate Tom Wilson so much, but he's like good too. So like I like can't hate him. Um <laughs> He's like a good. He's, he's turned himself into a right mediocre <laughs> version of Brad Marchand. Yeah, he was young enough in the transition of like, all right, fighters in the NHL are like pretty much going to be extinct. He was young enough where he literally like transformed his game so that he could still be a menace and still be a nuisance and still be a dirty player, but be skilled enough to like survive and play on a line with the NHL's best goal scorer of all time. Yeah, I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the sports fan in me wants a Bruins-Caps playoff series. 
Maybe it's not the first I'm round. I'm okay but... with the Bruins Cavs playoff series. It's go- I think it's going to be a second round matchup. Second round, yeah. I just I would very much prefer to not see them round one. You know what's weird is that in the third round we could potentially play a Western Conference team and then play an Eastern Conference team in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, because that Canadian division. Yeah, it's technically on the table. Not saying it's going to happen, but like, who's who is our like conference? Is it us in the Central? Yeah, is, I think is, so. And, and then it's Pacific the West and the North. Or, yeah, West and North. Yeah. Yeah, That's so what I've could, heard. yeah, I mean, we could theoretically, I mean, it depends on actually. Yeah. So no matter what, at least one Western Conference team is going to end up in the playoff from the R conference because the Predators, Stars and Blackhawks are the only teams that are um, it, it, like in striking distance of that fourth playoff spot because the next closest team to the Blackhawks is the Red Wings. So, and then in our division, it's all Eastern conference teams. It's all Western conference teams in the West division. And then the North, it's literally just the Canadian teams. So, I mean, yeah, here's the thing though. I don't think that we'll play an Eastern team in the Stanley cup finals. I don't want the Canadian team. I don't. I, but that's the thing. Montreal is not good enough to get past the Jets, Oilers, and Leafs. I don't know that the Leafs are. Yes, the Leafs are first place by a healthy margin. If it were any of them, it would be Toronto. But I don't think they're going to. Any one of them, it would be Toronto. But I also don't think that Toronto is good enough to beat the Oilers. Um, they don't yeah. improve me defensively. Now, granted, their goaltending situation, they do have that hot kid in net right now instead of Freddie Anderson. And that is the one thing that they have going for them right now. If Freddie Anderson was their starting goaltender, I would say absolutely no chance. They're gonna you, get can't say, you can't say Frederick Anderson's name without immediately thinking the 2019 Stanley Cup run where we're all in there screaming Anderson during game seven when that fuck so just broke down and we won. <laughs> you just can't not think about that moment. We're all in there. Game seven. I remember distinctly. We went and we talked to you at intermission. Um, yep. I was with Ferulo. Ferulo's like in line to get chicken nuggets or whatever. I go back to the seat because the game starts. I sit down. Sean Corrali comes over the blue line, shelves one on Anderson. We go up 3-1. I like high-five the security guard because there's no one out. Like Ferulo's gone. So I like go over to the security guard. I high-five him. Then the whole arena. Anderson. The whole – the rest of the period. And that was when I was like, all right, we're going to the Stanley Cup. I just knew it. <laughs> yeah. Good news, too. Capacity is going to 25%. So playoff army is going to be so effing electric this year. It's 25% for that Islanders game. That Islanders game is the first game that's 25%. Hey, so let's hope they don't get COVID and cancel it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> like last time. Remember, we were like doing a podcast and we were like, oh, shit, they just canceled the Bruins game. What yeah. I was in Florida still. I mean, at this point, I feel like Massachusetts has enough people vaccinated that that's fairly unlikely. I don't know what I'm going to do, though, because like I think you have to show didn't you, did, we needed to get a COVID test, right? Or like be able to show it mm, to go. To I, I don't know if they ever looked at my, like asked me to. I don't think I needed test. to. I think you just but, needed I mean, to do that like form thing and say that you're like whatever but i don't right, exactly do the form. yeah i don't i don't know that they are mandating the tester but i mean i'm also 
you know, 92% effectively like vaccinated as of two days from now. Yeah. So like I, I will have zero issues going to that game. Like I will be safe. I'm getting excited just thinking about the playoffs. Cause I actually, like, I agree. I think this team's going to make a run and yeah. we are going to, not only will we be in the building to be there, we will document it and we will do podcasts. Literally. I will do a podcast after every single effing Bruins game this year. Fire me up, baby. Let's go. This team's dancing. Uh, I was going to talk about the NFL draft because it's tomorrow night, but I feel like at this point we should just do a podcast after it. <laughs> we could do a podcast after it, and we could also do – do you want to just run through a quick, like, top five picks right now? Just like I don't in, even no, know five players who are in the draft pool. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll give one Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields. Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and the Zach Wilson, and then Devontae Smith. Those are who I know. Yeah, so give me your top quick five. Little, I don't have a top five. Yeah, my quick little top five to round out this uh, episode. So Trevor Lawrence, number one, there's no debate on that. Zach Wilson, number two, there's no debate on that. You think Zach three, Wilson's going two? Yeah, everyone has Zach Wilson going two. And honestly, I if think you watch him sucks. play, he looks it, you, when you watch them play, he looks decent, but the issue is that it's BYU and they're playing awful teams. Yeah, None of the teams Coastal Carolina and losing. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but it's like a consensus that the Jets are taking him at number two unless something wild happens. I think that the Niners are going to take Mac Jones three. I don't see how they couldn't have that happen. And, and even if it isn't Mac Jones, it's going to be Trey Lance, right? Fields is not going number three. I don't see that happening. Falcons are still looking at trading number four. I don't think that they're going to get the package that they want because clearly if they hadn't gotten a good offer by now, they're asking for too much. So I have Pitts going four, and then I have Panay Sewell going five because I think that the Bengals need to beef up their offensive line and try to protect Joe Burrow. So that is my five. I think that the Patriots trade up to the nine or ten area well, I, I mean, at this point, they don't even need to trade up to the 9 or 10 area because Panthers are not taking a quarterback, so they're not going to take fields. Then now that the Broncos have ended up with Bridgewater, I don't think they'll take fields, especially if Lance is still Wait, available. you don't think the Panthers are going to take a quarterback? No, they they have Sam Darnold. Why would they trade for Sam it's, Darnold? It's said, they, it's said that they, today I saw something. Granted, it came from Bleacher Report, who is like the most unreliable source ever. But it said that they're planning. They're like in the market for a quarterback tomorrow night. I mean, in the so market. So take that as you will. Right. But I think that the, the Pats trade up to probably right behind the Giants. I think the Giants end up taking Devontae Smith. And I think the Patriots end up getting fields. I, I, I saw a mock draft that had the Patriots trading to seven and taking fields. Um, I think that's a realistic trade as well. I don't know that they're going to need to trade up that ball. Yeah, probably not. I don't think um, Devontae Smith like, is as high as uh, that. You don't think he's 11th overall or, yeah, 11th overall? Um, I, I, think he's, I, I mean, the Giants, here's the thing. Forget whether or not talent-wise he's 11th overall. Fit-wise, he's 11th overall. So, so where, where would you have Waddle going then? Who, who's the first wide receiver off the board? Jamar Chase is and, – and that's not necessarily – look, Jamar Chase is actually a really solid wide receiver. Like, he, he's got great explosion, um, great agility. Like, dude can cut 
like break everybody's ankles. He needs to improve as a route runner. Um, but I think that Detroit's going to take him, especially after they lost Galladay in free agency. Yeah. So I think Chase goes seven because it seems like there's consensus around scouting that Chase is the number one guy. I think that Waddle is going to slip to further back in the um, first round. Don't be surprised if the Ravens trade up and take him. Yeah, I think that that would make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. I think that Smith is going to get taken above Waddle just because Waddle's coming off the injury. I think yeah. that if Waddle had played this year, I don't know that we're talking about Devontae Smith in the same way that we're talking. About. We might not be talking about Devontae Smith in the first round. If, yeah, if, I don't. If no. Waddle plays, Devontae Smith doesn't win the Heisman. He's probably not even a top five wide receiver. I mean, Devontae Smith became the guy because he had to become the guy. Right. And he's but, talented. And that's not to say, that's not to say, like, I think that now that he's become the guy, he is the guy. Like, he will absolutely, yeah. like, play well on the NFL level. I just don't think yeah, that not we would have seen this. <laughs> well, that's, you know, fair. But I don't <laughs> think that we would have seen this until his fourth year in the league, if he hadn't gotten the opportunity to be the number one guy at Bama. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, fair assessment, and I agree. But yeah, I guess there's only one way to find out, and it's to watch the NFL draft tomorrow night. Exactly. So everyone needs to go do that, and then listen to our post-draft podcast. And here yeah, are I will be home. I will also be. I'm literally on break for like a week now. Oh, really? We have like a yeah, like an in between the COVID like trimester break. Nice. So mad content. Mad content. Absolutely. We'll hit the course at some point for sure. Oh, we definitely will. I'm I I'm looking at the weather because last time we were gonna go and then it, it literally like snowstorm. It, it just poured. <laughs> it poured it snowed the day before we were gonna play, and then it poured the day we were gonna play. And I was like, ah, <laughs> That sucks. So I'm going to make sure yeah, that we pick a decent weather day where it doesn't snow. But yeah, um, I I think that's it for episode 70, people. Um, I, I'm sure we'll be back to talk about more Pictionary shit. And <laughs> um, Canes and four, roll, baby. Yep. Roll. And I won the green <laughs> jacket, so screw all of you. I got a flag in my room today. I get flags and it says it's a tweet from Kanye West and it says, I need a room full of mirrors so I can be surrounded by winners. <laughs> I feel like that's so me right now with my green jacket. I'm going to wear it. Like I'll wear it tomorrow during the podcast. I'll wear it everywhere Love it. from now on. Love it. So yeah, that's all I've got people. Uh, until next time, stay, uh, keep it, uh, keep it, uh, keep it cool. Stay cool. Stay, stay, Stay frosty. Stay, stay with the faith. Love the way you shiver. Dig into my shoulder blades. Feel it when you quiver. Higher level, elevate. You could be the renegade. Body to a glide. Harrison and Juliet. Legends never die. The TV hasn't worked and they just probably got a shortage.